Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. Presented by Tequila Embajador. Welcome back, Raider Nation. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation radio guest line and welcome in an old friend of mine and a good friend uh, of mine uh, from back in our Southern California days. He's the pride of Notre Dame High School in Sherman Oaks, by the way. (laughs) I've got to get that out because we got to, yeah, of course, we have to show our 818 pride uh, without question. Uh, But he's up in Seattle now um, working for the Seattle Post Intelligencer and that is Matt Calkins, the great columnist uh, up in Seattle. Matt, how are you doing, my friend? I'm great. Just quick note: it's the Seattle Times. Oh my uh, gosh! But you're you're good. Oh my god! I, I hate that it's happened to me, Matt. I am so it's sorry. It's all good, man. The you Seattle one A Pride. You recognize that I was a <laughs> more outstanding Notre Dame product than John Carlos Stanton, so you're good. That is a finable offense right there. <laughs> I'm going to find myself somehow, some way. Uh, but okay, so first of all, Matt, I got to get to this. Uh, a Southern mm-hmm. California kid like you are. Uh, how many years have you been up in the Northwest now? It seems like time flies. And are you officially uh, a Washingtonian or whatever they call people that live in Seattle? Are yeah, we... I'm a. Well, I, it's been seven years. Wow. Um, time does fly. Uh, I've been working here longer than I've worked anywhere else. I am an East Sider in in Washington, which is uh, just across the lake in Bellevue from Seattle. Love but, yeah, Bellevue. I think. Uh, I think I'm laying my roots here, and uh, I got the Patagonia jacket. I got the beanie. I'm pretty. I got the beard. I'm, I'm a Seattleite through and through. I love it. I love it. Uh, all right. So, Matt, I uh, wanted to bring you in uh, uh, to the huddle today because, obviously, the Raiders and the Seahawks play this year, um, and that's that's number one. And I want to kind of try to maybe get under the under the uh, hood here uh, with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. And my, my last recollection of the Seahawks was – uh, at the scouting combine in Indianapolis, I always go go listen to Pete Carroll. Whenever I'm there, I gotta hear Pete yep. Carroll because uh, I just I just love that dude. All right, so um, he was fired up, Matt. Like he was like I was getting fired up listening to him talking about how fired <laughs> up he was about what's in store, what's ready to happen. Uh, it's time to rebuild. It's time to I'm ready for this. This is a challenge, you know. At that point, yep. they had Russell Wilson. Uh, but mm-hmm. I felt like the way he was talking, that probably wasn't going to be for long, and certainly it wasn't. So right. What, if you can, you know, uh, just an overview on on what's going on right now with Seattle. I know Pete's fired up about this challenge ahead of him, and it is a challenge. Yep. But what what what's the biggest challenge that they face right now? Yeah, well, the first thing I'd say is I've never not seen Pete Carroll fired up. Exactly. I think he's fired up watching C-SPAN. <laughs> um, but I I would say, uh, you know, for for the average fan. I'm not sure there's a whole lot to be fired up about. Um, they don't have uh, an elite quarterback. Right now it's Geno Smith and Drew Locke battling out for, uh, for the top spot. I, I don't think they're going to sign you know, any marquee names this year. So it's, it's kind of hard, especially with Bobby Wagner going to. It's, it's really hard to not look at this as anything but a rebuild. Uh, Pete Carroll and general manager John Schneider are, are saying it's not. Um, you know, it's just a retool. But with no quarterback and, um, you know, you're, you're bringing in all these, um, these rookies that are, are going to be competing for, for starting spots, um, it, it looks like, uh, you know, maybe a six or seven win year. Now, it's the NFL. 
Um, There's certainly, you know, we, we see a lot of surprises in this league, and the and Seahawks played a lot of close games. But just to have, when they went 7-10 and 10 with, that, with Russell Wilson last year, and granted, he did miss three games. Yep. With him gone, it's, it's just it's just hard to say this is going to be the year. So I think this is I think the key interest for Seahawks fans right now is how are the rookies going to develop? You know they got Charles Cross with the ninth the ninth pick, the offensive tackle, got a new running back. You know how's Rashad Penny going to play? Is going to be around for a while? Jamal Adams, what's he going to do? Um, and then you know set themselves up for next year. But this year it just it just feels like a rebuild to me. All right, so. Um... Matt, when we think about the quarterback situation for the Seattle Seahawks, mm-hmm. uh, there's a move out there that makes so much sense that maybe it doesn't make any sense at all, uh, and that's Baker, okay. Baker Mayfield. Um, right. It felt like, all right, that's a that's a that's a pretty decent landing spot, and I'm sure for Baker Mayfield it would be, uh, and maybe from the Seattle Se- uh, Seahawks perspective, give him a one year run, see what he's all about. Maybe that's the quarterback right. you march into the future with, but it hasn't happened, and I don't get the feeling that it is going to happen. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I wrote about that, um, you know, about a week or so after uh, Russell was gone. I said, you know, Mayfield does seem like it makes sense. I just, I don't know that they're all that impressed with him. I don't know that they want to invest. I, I think they're, you know, content with Drew Locke and Geno Smith right now, and they think Mayfield, his best days are behind him, and that if they bring him in, you know, maybe he gives them an extra win or so, um, but but not somebody, but not somebody that is going to be part of their long term future. So. I totally understand the sentiment, and he's, I would say he's better than Locke and, and, and Smith, no doubt about that. But I just don't think um, they're particularly, you know, they're not salivating over him. They're not that interested in him, and I think they're going, um, we're happy with our guys right now. I don't know how truly happy they are, but we have enough faith in Drew Locke, you know, to be our guy and compete and, and set themselves up for later. But I, I, I would say Mayfield, with, with every day that passes, uh, that's just looking uh, like less and less of a possibility. We're talking to Matt Calkins from the Seattle Times, uh, and you can follow him at Matt underscore Calkins. All right, so this kind of feels like a little bit to me, Matt, pre-Russell Wilson. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those those couple of years, and, and people forget Pete Carroll was there for, what, at least two or three years before yeah. Russell showed up. Uh, and they were just retooling, and they were tinkering at quarterback, but you never got the sense that they were – fully invested in any of the quarterbacks that they had no. prior to Russell Wilson. Uh, but he, well, they had Matt Flynn. Oh, he was, yes. It was a big deal for, for, yes. for a minute, and then Russell just crushed him in camp. But, Ex- yeah, they, they certainly didn't have any, any standouts. But in the meantime, in the meantime, mm-hmm. it wasn't like they were losing time or wasting their time. They were building a hell of a football team that they ended right. up putting Russell Wilson uh, into uh, eventually in 2012. Can we make the argument that, that – that maybe that's kind of what's going on here right now. It could be. I mean, those three years from 2010 to 2012 was just like maybe the most incredible drafting yes. that we've ever seen. You know, Richard Sherman in the fifth round, Cam Chance on the fifth round, Bobby Wagner in the second, Russell Wilson in the third. Um, uh, you know, they got Earl Thomas. They brought on Marshawn Lynch. The team building was unlike anything we've ever seen. But it also kind of felt like lightning in a bottle. Like, can you really replicate that? Maybe they can. Um, John Schneider has struggled um, with his first-round picks over over the past few years. If you if you look at the Seahawks, there haven't been too many Pro Bowlers since those Legion of Boom days um, that they pick up in the draft. So um, I think they're looking forward to the challenge. I think they love this stuff. I think Carroll truly is fired up and like, all right, we can do this again and bring it back. But you know, to to get all those players again, you know, 
anything like that uh, seems it, it seems difficult. So, you know, you know this as well as anyone. The the key to winning in the NFL is, is having a great quarterback. Obviously, you need a lot of pieces surrounding him, but when they let Russell Wilson go, um, they're basically and you know I understand why they did sign a long-term contract, but it's basically saying we, we might not be good for a long time because they weren't before that. They had Hasselback for a little year, for a little time, but it's it's just without an elite quarterback, you just never know what you're going to get. So ha, do Schneider and Carroll have a track record of building a team? Absolutely. Have there been some flaws recently in how they've drafted? I would say that as well. And some of their trades too, like Jamal Adams, where they gave up two first-round picks for a guy that has kind of been underwhelming and hurt. Um, you know, there, there's plenty to be concerned about as well if you're a Seahawks fan. It's interesting to me uh, as you describe all of that because, you know, uh, it could be that some of those draft picks, some of those trades were intended to maximize having Russell Wilson as your quarterback uh, and right. winning like right now. Whereas I think they've, uh, they're unchained from that obligation. Now it's just about building a really good football team. And mm-hmm. I, I almost wonder, and, you know, I'm not one of those – punt on this year or, you know, uh, lose on purpose or anything like that. But right. c- could we make an argument that it wouldn't be the worst thing if the Seahawks uh, just completely tanked this year? Because it is a strong, much stronger quarterback class coming out next year. Oh, yeah. Um, I think I can't remember who put the poll up. It might have been um, uh, Dave Mahler from um, um, KJR out here. I, I can't remember. But it's basically, do you want um, the Seahawks to – to make the playoffs or not, and you know, and it was like option A was no, give me the first, give me the number one overall pick, and option B was like, yeah, let's go to the postseason. And I think option A got like ninety percent of the polling. <laughs> so I think, yeah, um, I I think in the, you know, it would it would wouldn't be great in the short term. I think people would be frustrated. You know, people want to watch their team win, but I think a four and thirteen season would definitely be more productive long term than a than a nine and eight season. Well, no I've, al- I've always felt those people up in the Northwest are really smart. So there's some savviness and nuance <laughs> to, uh, to their thinking right there. But I guess my question to you uh, as a follow-up, would they tolerate it? I mean, what would, what would it look like? What would Century, uh, CenturyLink field look like and sound like uh, if it was one of those kinds of years? Cause they, they really haven't gone through that kind of a year in a long time. Yeah, there is a phrase up here because you know the 12s, right? Yes. That's what they call the Seahawks fans. All right, there's a phrase called 12 since 12, right? Since since they got Russell and all those guys and they became good. So CenturyLink Field, or it's Lumen Field now, but it's you know, oh, yeah. always considered the, the, the loudest field in the, in the country, the biggest home field advantage um, because they've all – but this is always when they've been contending. I mean, even last year, like, you know, we, we – People, when they were struggling, it's like, well, when Russell comes back, are they going to be good? And, you know, they were 7-10, and 10, but it wasn't, you know, 3-14. and 14, And maybe there was a chance. And, you know, they were still filling it out and, and making a raucous, making a raucous. But, yeah, um, it's just such an adjustment right now. We haven't seen this in 10 years. So I'm, I'm very curious to see how the fans come out. Um, you know, we infamously lost the Sonics out here. And people, you know, complain all the time. Oh, you know, how do you, you know, Howard Schultz, how do you sell our team? We, we need to get them back. But if you look at the attendance over the last three years when the Sonics were, you know, stinking it up, nobody was going to the games. Right. So um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I mean, it, there's such a culture around the Seahawks here. It's hard for me to imagine, especially in week one when it's, you know, uh, Denver and, um, Yes, in Seattle Russell Wilson's own team. That's going to be crazy. But uh, 
in general, um, yeah, I mean, I, I can definitely see a potential for them saying, ah, we'll, we'll look for next year. We'll, you know, go watch the Sounders or something. Well, Matt, you went there with the Supersonics, and uh, yeah. I have to ask because uh, not only are there is there hopefully movement um, in that regard to bring the Seattle C- Supersonics back to Seattle, um, and that needs to happen as far as I'm concerned. Um, right. But right here in Las Vegas, there's also yep. been push to um, you know create an NBA team here, and I think that it makes perfect sense. You get two more teams. Uh, get it to 32, kind of replicate the, the, the numbers work at 32. Uh, you can move a couple of teams here in the West back to the East to, to balance it all out. Um, right. What are you hearing as far as the, the real progress that could be happening for the Supersonics to come back to Seattle? Yeah, I think, you know, the best thing that could happen for Seattle is that Vegas gets a team. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, that, that would mean they're expanding – you know, um, Silver did an interview recently where he was asked about that. And, you know, maybe he was just being guarded and didn't want to get anyone's hopes up and it was just playing it safe. It just, it just sounds like, you know, if it happens, it's not happening anytime real soon. You know, he, he was saying that the owners, you know, when, when you add two teams, that, that's two more teams you got to split your revenue with. Right. For the TV and all that. And is there a potential problem with dilution, you know, um, talent dilution, right? 450 to 480. We do see a lot more parity in the NBA than than we used to. Um, So I'm not sure that's as much of a concern. Um, To me, um, yeah, I think it could happen. Um, But in terms of in the next, I think it would be at least five years before anything did happen. All right. Well, I'm hoping that... uh, I hope I'm wrong. I know, exactly. Exactly. I hope it gets expedited (laughs) a little bit. Um, And I think that, you know, you figure out the, uh, yes, they're going to be, you know, one more uh, or two more uh, pieces of pie to cut up. up. However, you know, you can can mitigate that and manage that uh, with a uh, expansion fee, which I'm sure is going to be through the nose, but somebody's going to pay, two people are going to pay that. Uh, And as far as the talent level, it's a worldwide game now. Uh, I think there's way too many people playing basketball for that to be an issue. It might be an issue for the two teams initially, but I think uh, fairly soon both teams will be competitive uh, and we won't miss a beat uh, as far as that goes. Uh, so I hope I you're, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah. we'll see. We'll Just see. Just in Europe and all, yeah. From, uh, Matt, from I, tell, all I tell people all the time, uh, anyone who covered the NBA on the West Coast um, prior to the Supersonics um, and Vancouver too, we went from Vancouver and Seattle road trips. Yeah, to Memphis and Oklahoma City. I'm sorry, we didn't make I, off good in that in that deal at all. <laughs> I heard that was a pretty great trip. If you're coming in day, Vancouver, Seattle, Portland, uh, a lot of beer to be drank and uh, <laughs> yes, good times to be had. Exactly. <laughs> all right, Matt. Hey, thank you so much for spending some time with us in the hall. Truly appreciate it, my old friend. Can't wait to see you up in Seattle uh, in all right. a, in a few time. months. Yep, absolutely. Take cool. care of yourself, brother. All right, Vinny. Take care. You too. That was Matt Calkins from the Seattle Times. I can't believe I uh, uh, misdid that. Uh, that's a fine on, on my end. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monster, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM. All right, Vinny, you know what that means. I do. Time for America's favorite game show, 5 out of 5, Dentists Recommend. (laughs) All right. Does the call stand or is it overturned? All right, Vinny. Yes. 
You know, it's a lot of a lot of big things are going on in basketball. You know. Yes, there the is. NBA. I mean, the draft lottery was last mm-hmm. night. Shout out to the Orlando Magic again. Got the number one pick. I saw a great picture. You'll find this funny. It was just, oh man, I can't wait to see the next great center that the Magic select. And it was two. And it was four pictures. It's the picture with Shaq on yes. draft day. And a trophy with the Lakers. Right. And Dwight Howard on draft day. Yes. With a trophy with the Lakers. Who's the next center that the <laughs> Orlando Magic are going to draft for the Lakers? By the way, real quick about that. They, that's like their fifth time, I think, with, with the winning the lottery or fourth or fifth time. Um, they've done it quite a bit, right? Uh, yes. They had, um, At Hardaway. least the fourth. Penny Hardaway was a first pick. Uh, Tracy Mc... Right? No, he was more of a trade because they, they wanted... Chris Webber was the number one pick. But they traded, but Penny but, Hardaway was the third, whichever, it, whichever they way they. It, though. They yeah. picked Chris Webber, and then they, they it was their pick, yeah. and then they traded it for Penny Hardaway and, and all that good stuff. So, um, you know, just to, for a little history lesson, the Lakers in the middle of their championship series, championship seasons, ended up with the number one pick twice based on trades that they had made well before that. One was how they got Magic Johnson. It wasn't like they were the worst team in the league to get the number one pick. They made a trade um, uh, for a veteran player to the Cleveland Cavaliers and got their first pick. Or no, it was like the Utah Jazz, I think it was. And they ended up with the first pick overall to get Magic Johnson. Then a couple of years later, a trade that they had made maybe two or three years before that Turned out to be the number one. At, they came, they were coming off the, a championship season, and they got James Worthy, the best player in college, because they traded, made a, a trade a few years before, and it worked out. It's That's earning a first pick overall. The Orlando Magic and some of these teams that continually get the first round pick for just being so bad. Um, it's well, just, that's the point of being that's I know, the reward for I being know, bad. But were they that bad this year? Were they that bad this year? They just won the lottery. They just won the lot, but they were they were pretty darn They're bad. They were pretty bad. I don't think anyone was as bad as the Oklahoma City Thunder because they're tanking. Right. With Where did they, who, they got the second pick. Do we even know who the first pick's going to be this year? Oh, well, Vinny, I'm glad you asked because okay. that's where the question All comes in. All right, let's in. go. We, were, we, were, we, had to, we had to kill a minute derail- or two right yeah, there. Yeah, we're derailing, but now we're back to we're the back actual to it. question. <laughs> let's go as for as it. As we're speaking about the Orlando Magic All right. winning the draft lottery in yes. the NBA. <laughs> Chad Holmgren. Yes. Seven-footer out of Gonzaga. Right. The future of basketball, some people are saying. Over seven The next Kevin Durant. He can dribble. He can handle. He can shoot. He's only about 175 pounds, but hey, that doesn't matter. Yes. Chet Holmgren will be the number one pick to the Orlando Magic this summer. Does the call stand? I'm going to say call overturned. After further review... Player disqualification is reversed. Well, give us who you think is going to be the number one pick. That's the thing I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Um, Just not him. You know, uh, is it because you have the doubts about Chet Holmgren being the seven-footer that's 195 pounds? I I do a little bit, yeah. I mean, but, and I have to keep reminding myself that, you know, first of all, big guys get bigger as the years go on. Uh, He's, what, 19 years old. Um, He's definitely got skills. I like the game. Um, But if he doesn't bulk up and there's no guarantee that he truly truly bulks up demand did you he, he's gonna get pushed around in the nba i mean i know it's a different game nowadays and and he's gonna be away from the basket uh quite a bit but at some point he's gonna have to play some defense and i think that where he is physically right now he's gonna get pushed around maybe um well i agree with what you're saying there but back to that number one pick Maybe a Patrick Mahomes, excuse me, Paolo Benchero. Oh, that's my guy. Could be the number one pick. I'm you don't know, did go you see for that? the Italian. Did you see that from F, from the F1 weekend? 
Yeah. So with F1, yes. you know, like they, he played it off pretty well. Yeah, too. you know, they're just running. Oh, that guy, the he's called. Patrick he looks Mahomes like a was there. Patrick Mahomes was there too. That's the whole. Somebody, but, somebody fed him the wrong information. Then no, I I think that that's that guy has a shtick. As it turns out, that interviewer, he just goes to any and if you if you if you because I was like, there's no way. First of all, Patrick Mahomes isn't that tall. Number one, you have to have that in your. So it turns out I did a little bit of digging, oh, and apparently okay. that dude. Does that on purpose? So oh, he didn't. He got. I, he, he maybe he did. I can't. I, it would be presumptuous of me to say that he definitely knew that that wasn't Patrick Mahomes. But something tells me that he knew that it wasn't Patrick Mahomes. Because if you watch, whatever he always he always leaves all the interviews with. Yeah, whatever. Who, who cares what you got to say? And then goes on to the next guy. So uh, hold on, but Vinny, I'll ask you this: okay. if it's if it's some if it's a sport that you don't follow that closely, yes, and you like, what's Patrick Mahomes? Maybe six three, six four. Patrick Mahomes is yeah six right yeah. Let's just give him a solid six four, and yes. Paulo Benchero six ten. I mean, do you really know the difference when you're already you should. short? I mean, <laughs> you should. But yes, I mean, tall guys are tall guys if they're if they're taller than you. And sometimes people can't put two and two together. Um, you know, in sometimes that regard. I'll stand next to someone. And I'll be like, oh man, this guy's pretty say tall. Anything. Like you know, you, sometimes you you know you I play basketball. And I'm like, oh man, how tall are you? And they'll be like six eight, and I'll be like, "That's what six eight looks like, huh?" <laughs> yes, exactly. Wouldn't have known. The <laughs> other, the, the other part is, uh, you know, there, there's let's let's say a national reporter comes into town, right? Covering let's covering the Raiders or covering the you know Rams as I did, and other teams that I've that I've that I've covered over the years, uh, even baseball. Sometimes a national reporter will come in, and they'll be like, "Who, hey, who who's that? Who who is that right there?" Like like you would think that everyone would know, but. Not everybody knows, especially in a football locker room where there's 53 guys at any given moment. Um, so, so I can't I can't discount or completely um, uh, eliminate the fact or the possibility that he didn't know that that was Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but I I sure hope for his case it was just stick. All right, Vinny. Moving on, we've got game one of yes. the Western Conference Finals. Looking it's going to be to starting that. tonight. Yes. Six o'clock. Cannot get here fast enough because we're going to be off the air and the game's going to be coming on. Absolutely. Golden State Warriors, Dallas Mavericks. I don't know if you saw it. We were talking about it a little bit on Unnecessary Roughness. Okay. Luca pictured having a beer with Boban. Now, the Dallas Mavericks are saying, hey, this is an old photo. TMZ has come out and said it's an old photo. But this photo comes out today, the day of the game. But maybe Luca can still go out there and put up one of those. Like, if, Luce, if Luca's a little lightly sauced, <laughs> and you know, when he goes out there and puts up 35, 10, and 10, has a triple double, right. that will add to the legend of Luka Doncic. Yes, it would. If he could go out there. I don't think it was real. I am, I'm going to side with the team. And even TMZ was like, hey, guys, that's an old photo. Don't worry about it. But Vinny, drunk or not, <laughs> maybe one beer or two beers in. Does Luca have at least 35 tonight? Does the call stand that Luca will drop 35 at least on the Golden State Warriors? I think the call stands. Here, the ruling on the field stands. Ooh. All right, a couple of things. Number one, I, I want to say it was uh, before the Lakers beat Orlando uh, in Game Five or Six, whatever it was to beat to to win that series. Kobe Bryant was having a beer uh, in the in the team hotel. And that that was well chronicled. Who I mean, a beer for crying out loud? We're we're we're, we're worried about that. Jeez, like like these guys are young guys, you know. Like when when you go out and and do your workouts and stuff like that, the night before you're telling me that you didn't have a a drink, but you're still good. You're 21. 
five years old, 24 years old, whatever it is that you are, uh, it, it, like, I can't believe that that would be a thing. Um, and if you if you really knew what was going on uh, anyway, these guys are young guys and they have a right to, to, to live their life the way they want to. So I can't believe that people are making a big deal out of that. And plus, you know, somebody brought this up. Like, do you think Luca is intimidated by any of this, like fans and things like that? He played in a in a in countries where there were fireworks going off. Uh, in inside the stadium, people were smoking cigarettes uh, in the stadiums. It's not like any of this throws him off, and certainly not one beer or even two or or three. Um, but yes, I do think he goes for thirty five. I'm not saying that that's going to get them the win. Uh, he needs his other players uh, to step up. I think that the Warriors are going to be fired up. They're a little bit rested. Uh, I think that when you're Stefan, you know, uh, or, or, or or Steph Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. Uh, and Draymond Green, and you're at this stage of your career, and all three of those guys are over the over the 30 uh, uh, threshold. They're starting to smell another championship, and you don't know when another one's going to be guaranteed. They've got a chance to win another championship. Uh, I think they're going to be locked in and fired up, and I think they're going to win this series. So even whatever Luka does, I think the Warriors win tonight. All right, Vinny. To the big news of the day for Raider fans, because I do think that Raider fans, as we would say in the wrestling business, worked themselves into a shoot. You work, you worked yourself into this situation on your own with the hype, the potential of maybe getting James Bradbury. Right. But he did sign with the Philadelphia he Eagles, did. about seven and a half million, I think. Ten up, million, all yeah. But but that that would be incentives. Like things would need to happen for right. him to collect that full. And 10 I'm million. sure, knowing knowing the way this works, it's like the game yes that's oh, that's okay. that's you know that's five hundred thousand dollars right there so uh achievable incentives yes an achievable 10 million because i like to throw out that caveat because yeah. sometimes maybe he doesn't collect that whole 10 million could be but right right he's signing with the philadelphia eagles stand inside the nfc east and right. i know you don't know the full layout of the philadelphia roster but Vinny, does the call stand that the philadelphia eagles are going to make the playoffs this year with that addition of James Bradbury. Call overturn. After further review, the player disqualification is reversed. So you're saying it doesn't matter that they went out and signed James Bradbury? You don't think that the Eagles are going to make the playoffs? Still not a Jalen Hurts believer right now. I, he needs to show me that he's ready to to carry help carry a team to the playoffs. I just look at that division and... Uh, I think the Dallas Cowboys are going to win the division. Um, uh, I am a big uh, Dak Prescott guy. I think the, car, the the Eagles or the Cowboys win the NFC East. I think the Green Bay Packers and then I think the Minnesota Vikings are going to be pretty decent. So I think they're going to, you know, those two teams from the uh, from the Central or North, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are going to win their uh, division. I don't think anyone else from the eight, from the uh, South uh, goes to the playoffs. However. The NFC West, between the Rams, I think the Cardinals are going to be better again, and I think the 49ers, whoever plays quarterback, I just really believe in that coaching staff and the talent that's around them. I don't know where the room is for the Philadelphia Eagles. I still think that they could sneak in by maybe being... Winning the division? No, no, not winning the division. But I think they could sneak in and maybe be a 9-8 and because, like you said... The NFC West, it is good, but every team in that division. Right. I mean, they are. And Seattle kinda, takes a step back. Yep. See, now Who were the NFC uh, playoff teams last year? We got the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Rams, the Packers, the Dallas Cowboys made the playoffs last year, right? Um, the Cardinals made the playoffs last year, right? The 49ers made the playoffs. So three teams from the, from the NFC West made the playoffs. Who am I missing? 
All right, and you also had the Dallas Cowboys, right? The Philadelphia Eagles. The Eagles did make the playoffs. Yes, last year. because they played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, that's right. And they they got demolished. So, yeah, the yeah. first game against the Buccaneers. Right. I guess maybe because unless okay, and from the NFC North, it was just the Green Bay Packers, right? Yes, yeah, just the Packers. If the I, I think that the team that they have to worry about is the Vikings. I think the Vikings with that new coaching staff uh, moving that offense into the. Uh, uh, this century, I think that they're going to be better off. The Vikings are, and I like where they are defensively. So that's what it's to me. To me, that last playoff spot, we'll put it this way, is going to come down to the Minnesota Vikings and the Philadelphia Eagles. And maybe yes. James Bradbury will play a big role in it. Could be. For the Philadelphia Eagles. Could you know, be. Maybe get some return on that investment. All right, Vinny, that's all I got for you today. Take us home. You are in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Embajador, Raider Nation Radio, 920 AM on a Wednesday. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Listen, I'm not trying to sugarcoat anything at all. Um, I just don't see where some Raider fans think that the secondary is going to be terrible. Um, I mean, some of it's going to be predicated, obviously, on the health of Trayvon Mullen. I think the fact that the Raiders haven't gone out and uh, addressed cornerback, whether it was James Bradbury or anyone else uh, recently, um, I think that's that should be good news for, for, for Raider Nation because it probably means that the Raiders have a comfort level on where Trayvon Mullen is health-wise and where he's going to be when it really counts, all right? Uh, so Trayvon Mullen, who I felt when he was on the field, was played some pretty good football uh, for the Raiders. And that was, when you think about his first year uh, on the team, and the, really his first two years with the Raiders, it was with a very minimal amount of pass rush pressure. You know what I'm saying? Like like the Raiders' defensive line and their, and their sacks and their pressures in 2019 and 2020, it just wasn't very good. Um, that changed last year uh, dramatically with, you know, Unique Ngakwe and Max Crosby turning the corner into the great player that he was and is, uh, some of the interior defensive linemen who were getting some push. Um, and that really did help guys like Casey Hayward. It helped um, Trayvon Mullins backup um, who, who had to play a lot of football uh, last year. Uh, Nate Hobbs benefited. Uh, I thought the secondary played decently last year and uh, that was the benefit of having a better pass rush. Trayvon Mullen, unfortunately, you know, didn't didn't benefit too much because he was hurt all last year. But if he's healthy with what I think is going to be an even better pass rush this year, uh, I think he's fine. I think he'll be okay. Go ahead, uh, Demond. We got a text on the uh, Sam and Ash text line. People think Trayvon Diggs is so good, but both Trayvon Mullen and Rocky Sin had higher PFF grades. And I don't know, I don't think anybody mentioned Trayvon Diggs, but this texter just had to get that off his chest. 
Okay. Well, and, and you know, that's putting faith in, uh, in, in PFF's gradings and there's a lot of things, different layers uh, to that. But, uh, and I didn't, I don't, I don't know that uh, t- uh, for uh, factually, I'm going to take his word for it, uh, but there you go. Uh, I think that Trayvon Mullen's kind of getting overlooked here because you haven't seen him in a, basically a full season. You know, he got hurt somewhere along the line uh, in training camp and he was um, out of sight, out of mind. But if he's healthy, playing alongside Rock Yassin, who a lot of people like, all right? I know Raider Nation might not be all that familiar with him uh, because he was playing in Indianapolis, but he's a good, solid player uh, for the Colts, all right? So if if Trayvon Mullen is healthy, Rock Yassin, those two players are the starting cornerbacks, fit this system, are playing behind a good pass rush. Nate Hobbs in the, uh, in the slot. You've got Anthony Averett. Um, and, 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 and you've got Darius Phillips as rotational pieces. Also, Cravon uh, LeBlanc, who the Raiders signed uh, early in free agency, uh, played with the Cincinnati Bengals, I believe. Um, you know, so uh, is another guy that's been on the field and been a productive uh, NFL player. Uh, Darius Phillips, Cravon LeBlanc, LeBlanc um, Anthony Averett, not quite sure what to make of Amik Robertson, but that's got the makings. Those are the backups, presumably. Rocky Yassin, uh, Trayvon Mullen, uh, and Nate Hobbs as the starters, presumably, on paper. It's not an awful-looking secondary. It's young. Uh, there's some uncertainty because from Raider Nation because you haven't seen a lot of these guys play. But don't mistake that for they can't play. And I, I, I still feel uh, truly believe that you know, playing behind that kind of a defensive line, I think is going to help. Casey Hayward had a great year last year, right? Do you think that Casey Hayward's play was elevated because he was also playing behind a pass rush that was consistently getting pressure, whether it was sacks or pressure or hits or whatever the case might be, it benefited him. And he'd be the first player to tell you, person to tell you that. And that works hand-in-hand hand with the secondary and the, and the pass rush. And I think that that's going to continue to grow. And I think there's some young players in the secondary that are going to get the job done. I'm not saying it's going to be the best secondary of all time. But I think it's being underrated here a little bit. Uh, and a lot of it is because you just don't know. You haven't seen all these guys play together. But individually... I thought the Raiders did a pretty good job bringing in some some good, hungry, versatile, talented football players uh, in that cornerback room, and I, I and I truly believe that Trayvon Morig is a player that is um, ascending and going to continue to get better. I thought he had a fabulous rookie year. Obviously, you know what I feel about Nate Hobbs. We'll see what Tyree Gillespie uh, brings to the table. You know, he was another guy that got hurt. And, you know, we've talked about this so many times. When you're a rookie and that train leaves the station, it's hard to, A, keep up, let alone catch up to it. So kind of a lost year for for Gillespie, but the Raiders drafted him for a reason, and he definitely does have a skill set, and he might fit right in. So uh, Roderick Teamer, who, if he can stay on the field, he's another one of those players that plays with such reckless abandon and – with such a physicality and really a ferociousness, if you watch him on tape, uh, if he can just harness that just a little bit in order for him to stay on the field, he was a pretty decent player last year uh, for the Raiders in his role as a safety. Uh, They went out and got uh, Deron Harmon, who's got starting experience, uh, a capable NFL 
safety. So, you know, that's another guy that I think people are, are, are sort of overlooking. I think they're going to be able to cobble it together in the secondary in a way that makes it, I'm not going to say the strength of the team, but certainly a complementary piece and part of what could be an improved defense. I, I fully, ex- I, I fully believe the Raiders expect that this Raiders going to that this Raiders defense is going to be better than it was last year. But then going back to the offensive line, and we started the show off with this today. You know, Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler have talked a lot about trying to figure out the best five man group. That's what they're that's what they're going to the best f- five guys uh, that are going to lock down starting positions to form the best cohesive unit uh, among five offensive linemen uh, on this team. And I think when you when you go back and and people really need to remember this, they need to focus on this. All right, the move of Alex Leatherwood from right tackle to right guard wasn't just because, or in, in some cases, wasn't even because he was struggling at right tackle. If Denzel Good was healthy all last year, he would have been the right guard. And Alex Leatherwood would have been the right tackle for the entire season. The Raiders, once there were injuries to Richie Incognito and Denzel Good, the Raiders had to piece together and figure out what's the best five-man group at that point. And as somebody pointed out to me today, you know, Alex Leatherwood played three games at right tackle, right? Playing alongside for one half... Denzel Good and two, you know, the the, the eight, not, eight, ten other quarters alongside Jermaine Illuminar, who had just showed up on the scene. In spite of that, and in spite of some of the struggles, the Raiders were still three and zero at that point. They moved um, Alex to 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 right guard because they were really struggling at right guard and figured, okay, what's the best five that we have uh, on this roster? What's the best five? Move Alex Leatherwood, who had some positional flexibility to guard, to try to lock down that or or improve that. Bring Brandon Parker, who they had some confidence in, to go play right tackle, to be the right tackle. That's why they made the moves that they made. It wasn't just because, oh, Alex Leatherwood, a rookie, is struggling, um, you know, making the transition or is just generally making the transition. Again, if Denzel Good stays healthy last year, he's the right guard. Alex Leatherwood is the right tackle. And what what are we talking about right now? We're talking about, because here's another thing. We don't know how good Alex would have gotten at right tackle. Maybe by 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 week 17, by week 16, we just said, okay. All right, Vinny, but if you were the coach, would you have risked it to, risk it to find out? What do you mean? You said we don't know how good Alex Leatherwood would have been at right tackle if he stayed there, let's say, all season. I think he stays there all have, season. But but let's say last season. Right, that's what I'm saying. Passaccio, last season. You would have taken the risk to leave him in at right tackle and yeah, say I, no, I he'll think figure that, it out? I think you don't that, think that that would have cost you not one game? Um, I, They were 3-0 and with him at, at right at right tackle. Uh, his, first three ga- his first three games, his first three NFL games were at right tackle. So do and you they think were that three the decision was unwarranted then? To move him to no, right guard. No, I don't think it was unwarranted because they were they were just had a a sieve at right guard. They needed to figure out how to who's the best five guys right now. Yes, exactly. And I do think let's say if let's give him a grade. If, if you so, think he's a C at right tackle, but hey, we think he's going to be a B at right guard, then move him to right guard. I, if I that was like the rationale. No, I, I think that I think it was they they had an F at right guard. Yeah, so put they some, had a they so had move him over. Okay, I understand a, that. Okay, they had they had an F at right guard. 
Let's just say he was a let's say he was a C right then at that point at at right tackle or a D. Let's go D at right tackle. All right, and they would have lived with that. If then look at Denzel Good at right guard last year, there would have been no reason to move Alex to right guard if Denzel Good was playing right guard. It had stayed healthy. That's that's my argument. Is that they would have lived with the same struggles that they lived with 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 uh, Alex Leatherwood at right guard. They would have done the same exact thing at right tackle if right guard was okay. As you know, what I'm saying, like if Denzel Good had stayed healthy, there's no. Why do you replace Alex Leatherwood? Why do you replace Denzel Good with Alex Alex Leatherwood at that point? I see what you're saying. I understand your logic. Yeah. But I just disagree because I think you that, think that they would have replaced. Denzel yes, Good? I think that the no, I think that the move with Alex Leatherwood when it pertains to him, I think that the move was more about he is doing, he's performing terribly at right tackle. So we're we're going. We think that he will perform a little bit better at guard. I don't think that it was more so that hey, right guard is so bad. We need it, to put Leatherwood no, it there. It was. It was. That, I, well, that, I I think that that's what but you're I'm, more I'm plugged telling, in than me. Yeah, I know I'm telling you, talk, you that that's, you, I know yes. you're more plugged in than me, and you talk put to it this more way, people. If, if, but I am telling you, if that just looking could, at what you saw, he was worse at right tackle. And he was a little bit better at right guard, but, but I don't think that it was just oh right guard so bad this is going to help us because then that just opened up a bigger problem at right tackle. Well, they felt like Brandon Parker was going to give them a serviceable right tackle. It, it, again, it was about trying to find the best five at that point in time, and Jermaine Illuminor was not part of the. And you couldn't put Brandon Parker at right guard because he's not he can't play guard at all. All right, so the only position that that Brandon Parker could have played was either left tackle, which was solidified, or right tackle. So that's what I'm saying. Like, like just just hear me out. If Denzel Good is 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 healthy and playing an acceptable level, which he I think he would have, what would have been the need to move Alex Leatherwood to right guard? I still think that even if the right guard, I don't think it was the I don't think that was the that big of the issue on who was playing next to him. Sometimes you still have to be held accountable. And look, we all say, hey, rookie, he's just a rookie. Yeah, Maybe he'll get better. But the fact of the matter is he was bad at right tackle last season. I know I, for for the three games that he was in there, he he was bad. Okay. But the fact I, I but there still would have been no need to move him. They would have said, You gotta get better. We're we're living and dying with you. We knew that this was gonna be we knew that there was gonna be a learning curve. We're gonna keep you at right tackle. You're gonna get all these snaps. We're still winning. And I think they still would have been able to win um, uh, a sufficient number of games had he played right tackle. But there would have been no need at all if Denzel Good was in the lineup for them to even contemplate making that move. Now, could you have made the argument that he would have played so bad at right tackle that they'd just say, you know what, you're out of the lineup, period, and Brandon Parker is going to go in there? I do think that if best if. case considered, best case considered, that yes, that would have happened. I think he would have got benched. I don't know. I don't. We don't know that because it didn't um, – and, and it's not like Brandon Parker played that much better. Uh, he played basically at the same level that Alex Leatherwood was, was playing at. I think that I think that they still would have lived with the ups and downs of Alex Leatherwood at right tackle because they were looking at it as this is a future investment. That's the guy. That's who we drafted. We're living and dying with it, and, and we're st- they were still winning too. That's what they were thinking as well. But uh, but because of the injuries at guard, especially not just one, but two guys go down, uh, it forced their hand. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. I want to say thanks to Matt Calkins from the Seattle Times. I want to say thanks to Paul Gutierrez from ESPN. Thank you, Demon Cotton, for all the great work that you do. Thank you to the listeners. Uh, Gangster Raider, happy birthday to you and your son. Uh, enjoy Las Vegas. Uh, be safe. And we will be back at it tomorrow, 4 to 
530 uh, here on In the Huddle, brought to you by Tequila and Bajador.